Good morning. Wow. Matthew 18. We're going to look at another parable of our Lord. You ever sat at a business meeting or a meeting at work and bowed your head in prayer at the beginning? <laughs> I do it all the time. Or wondering what the opening hymn was? It's a good habit to get into. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord... How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. How much is that? 490. One guy, same guy sins 490 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, Have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Peter asked this question of the Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? In the light of what Jesus had just finished talking about in verses 15 through 20, resolving grievances and offenses. And Peter is basically asking the Lord, you know, where do I draw the line? Jesus has just been talking about uh, forgiveness. And I have a feeling Peter might have had an individual or two in mind. I don't think this is a hypothetical question. You know, I think there was at least one person in his life he was thinking about and he's thinking, OK, the Lord talked about forgiveness. Now, this guy, you know, where do I draw the line? How often do I forgive this guy? 
And um, I think he was probably picturing himself as pretty benevolent, you know, when he said up to seven times. Imagine what he must have thought when Jesus said, no, not seven, 490. What would you have said to Peter if he'd asked you that question? How would you answer that? Don't answer it here. Just think about it. I'll tell you, there's no one like Jesus. Man, he has a way of uh, taking issues and teaching us things we never knew about. And he's going to do that here. He's going to teach us three very important lessons in his response to Peter about forgiveness. In verse 22, the quick answer was not seven, but 490. Now, do you think Jesus was telling Peter uh, when we get to 491? Okay, that's it. I think by your laugh, you're saying no. And I agree with you. Jesus was saying no limit. Verse 23, notice, I want you to notice this. This is not just any parable. Jesus said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, isn't that interesting? He didn't say, let me teach you a lesson on forgiveness. He said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. This sounds like chapter 13, doesn't it? That we went over. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus is telling Peter and us, I'm going to teach you something about forgiveness in God's relationship with his people and their relationships with each other. So that means we can sit up and take notice because he's talking about us. Now, he starts with uh, this uh, king who went up to settle accounts. And it says he came across a guy in verse 24 who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, we're really not going to appreciate this parable unless we get a handle on the uh, the amounts here. I don't think when you read this, you really understand what Jesus is saying. He is saying some pretty astounding things here when you begin to understand the amounts involved. And I think it's wonderful that God has preserved two facts for us to this day that we know for certain about money at that time. So we can say exactly what these two debts are. The amount the servant owed the king and the amount the fellow servant owed the other servant. Here are the two facts. One denarius is the equivalent of uh, a laborer's wage in one day. A common laborer, unskilled worker. So we can we can figure that out today. What's minimum wage? Eight bucks, eight bucks an hour. OK, so we'll pay we'll pay our uh, laborer eight dollars an hour. Eight hours is what? 64. You guys are sharp. $64. Okay, so one denarius in today's money is equivalent to $64. Got that? One day's wage, a denarius. Well, let's start with the the small debt first. Uh, The servant, the fellow servant here in... um, the later verses owed a hundred in verse 28, a hundred denarii. So a hundred times 64, 6,400. Now that, that's a good amount of money, $6,400 to owe another guy. But I mean, it's not, you know, a huge amount. Uh, cars go for 20, 30,000, right? 
So uh, today's uh, a typical going rate, let, let's say uh, he were to get it at, in, uh, at interest, that's 4% about nowadays. And it's a small loan, relatively speaking, so it'll be a short-term loan. We'll say five years. At uh, five years, 4% APR. Uh, it's quite payable. He, he would have to be paying 118 bucks a month. That's affordable, right? Okay? So, th- this guy, he could have made arrangements later when he grabbed this guy by the throat. You know? You pay me 118 bucks a month for five years. I make a tidy little profit. And I get paid back. Now, let's compare that to the debt that the servant owed the king. A thousand, pardon me, 10,000 talents. A talent. That's kind of scary because a talent is also a measure of weight. <laughs> One talent was equivalent to, you can look it up any place, 6,000 denarii. Yeah. Jesus was trying to teach us something here. 6,000 denarii. Uh, okay, if a talent is 6,000 denarii and a denarius is 64 bucks, that means um, a talent is about, if I got my math right here, $400,000. Okay? One talent. One talent. 400,000 bucks. Okay? That's a, that's a modest house, huh? Right? Okay? Going rate of 4% APR. Um, we're gonna give this guy a break. Normally it's a 30 year loan. The longer the loan, you know, the, the less the payment. But there are places you can get 40 year loans. Not typically in the housing market, but, but we'll pretend. In this case, we'll give the guy a break. 40 years. But, wait a minute. He doesn't owe one talent. He owes 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. Hold on to your seats. His debt is $4 billion. That's the parable Jesus is telling here. Okay? Jesus is teaching us something. (laughs) So the one debt kind of shrinks into insignificance, huh? You know, 6,000 bucks. $4 billion. If he were able to get a loan from the king, you know, nice terms, 40-year loan, 4% APR, you know what his monthly payment would be? $17 million a month. $17 million. I, I'll tell you right now, I don't know, maybe except for a few, and I don't even think that's the case. Nobody in this room sees that amount of money in their lifetime. Seventeen million a month. He's going to have to pay. As you think, you got to think. What what was this guy thinking? You know, where did it go? You know, he obviously he knew the king was rich. He had a scheme. You know, hey, give me uh, four uh, four billion dollars, and I'll turn it into eight. It's gone. Maybe he thought, you know, the king wouldn't miss it. 
Well, unfortunately for him, this king remembered it. And it wasn't easy terms. He says, I want it now. Could you imagine? Man, I can't, I can't imagine being approached by someone and saying, okay, pay up the $4 billion right now. Here's the astounding thing. Verse 27. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. How much did he owe now? Zero. That four billion just became zip, nothing. You think this guy had a burden lifted off of his shoulders? <whistles> By the way, looking ahead, you think he might be able now to go out and forgive a few debts that are owed to him? Yeah. Basically, he's four billion dollars richer. <laughs> wow. Forgiven. Wiped clean, erased, gone. So here's the first lesson. Three lessons, I said. You and I, believers, have been forgiven an incredible debt. A debt we, to this day, we really can't understand. What's, what's the hymn? Not till then will I know how much I owe, Lord. When I see you face to face, then I'll know. That's what Jesus is teaching here. You see, because the king represents the Lord. And the servant that was forgiven represents you and me, if you know Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, boy, you were forgiven an awful lot. You just don't know how much. More than you'll ever know. We owed him a debt of sin. And... uh, It was going to take eternity to pay it off. We were bankrupt. We had nothing to offer him. Nothing. Empty pockets. Do you remember the joy of full forgiveness? If you know Jesus Christ, I remember it very well. Man, I felt... I told the the fellow that led me to the Lord after I got... Man, I said, I feel like I'm nine feet off the ground. I felt so relieved. I felt like this guy. You know? And I knew it wasn't going to come up again. Gone. If you don't know Jesus Christ, then you don't know what I'm talking about. But you can. You don't have to wait. Right now, today, you could know that sense of complete forgiveness of all your sins. You'll never know what it's like until you've experienced it. You Do you remember the joy of full forgiveness? Do you, do you still have that sense of joy? Maybe it's died out a little bit. It's interesting, you know, uh, the way you can tell, Jesus said it. He said, uh, the measure of your sense of forgiveness is measured by your love for him. How's your love for Jesus? I don't know if you've ever noticed, but uh, the woman, we don't know her name in Luke 7. She just called a sinner. Washing Jesus' feet with, with the tears from her eyes and, and wiping his feet with her hair. And, uh, Simon the Pharisee sitting, man, I'll tell you, he was uncomfortable. You know, with a sinner sitting in there washing Jesus' feet. I love it. You know what, you know what Jesus' first word was? He said, you see this woman? 
Yeah. Let's bring her to his attention. And he ends up by saying a very interesting thing. I don't know if you ever noticed it. He says this, her sins, which were many, are forgiven because she loved much. Do you understand what he said? Her sins, which were many, are forgiven because she loved much. Now, I think I would have said, you know, she loves much because her sins are forgiven. Jesus turned it around. Why did he do that? He wasn't saying her sins were forgiven because of her love. He was saying, you know, you can see how much she was forgiven because look at how much she loves me. He's saying her love is evidence of how much she's been forgiven and she knows it and she's thankful. Look at that love. Would people say you love Jesus much? If not, then you've either forgotten how much you've been forgiven or like uh, Simon the Pharisee, you've never known his forgiveness. It's hard for me to sing that hymn. It is well with my soul without getting tears in my eyes every every time on that verse. Think about it. I tell you, Rachel Spafford was thinking about how much he'd been forgiven when he wrote these words. My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Can you relate to that? We've been forgiven a lot. The second lesson Jesus teaches is found in the behavior of this servant. This guy's merciless. Verse 28, the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. But that servant went out. Jesus goes out of his way to paint this guy as merciless. Number one, he went out. The idea being right from the presence of the king. Okay? Just been forgiven four billion bucks and he immediately heads out. And number two, he found a fellow. He's looking for this guy. Wow. Where is this guy coming from? Three, when he found him, he laid hands on him. Four, he says he took him by the throat. Can you imagine? This is inconceivable. He demanded immediate payment. And when the guy couldn't pay on the spot, in fact, it's interesting, he quoted the other guy when he fell down and begged. He threw him into prison. Interesting that Jesus says he threw him into prison. Now, he would not have done that. It would have been a jailer that threw him into prison. But Jesus is saying it's as if this guy did it. You see. Man, he's vengeful. Why did Jesus paint this guy so cruelly? It's just a parable. I mean, he could have taught the lesson and just say, so the servant went out and... and uh wouldn't forgive another servant, you know, a smaller debt. Why does he paint it this way? You know why? Because that describes you and me when we refuse to forgive and hold a grievance against another person. 
Jesus is describing us. That's why he's painting it that way. Just as this man despised the forgiveness that was administered to him, so we do the same when we are unforgiving in light of the cross of Jesus Christ. You say, oh, but I don't act like that. No. You know, we make ourselves judge, jury, and hangman. We like to, uh, you know, keep a little account. Man, look what he said to me. Let me make a note of that. You know, write it down. A lot of detail. Man, that was terrible. How could he do that? She did that to me. A sinner. Write down all the details, you know, and it's just so obvious that it was terrible. It was wrong. What a sin. You know? I know nobody's ever done this. At least not in a book, maybe. But the book's up here. You see. And um, we proceed to, uh, you know, periodically we'll take it out and just kind of review it. You know, read through it. Oh, man, yeah, I remember that. Wow. Can you believe they did that to me? We might uh, share it with another person. You know. Or we might think of a great way to to approach the person to get them back. Why do we do those things? You know why? Because we're punishing them. Because we want to see justice done. They did something wrong to me. Now they deserve to have something wrong done to them. Isn't that true? That's why we get angry. You know why we get angry? We're saying, I'm going to make things uncomfortable for you. You know? I'm going to yell. I'm going to scream. I'm going to raise my voice. I'm going to call you bad things. I'm going to make life uncomfortable for you. I'm going to punish you. That's what we're doing. Or, you know, the silent treatment. Cut them off. Some way to hurt that other person so we can get justice. Justice. I've seen grievances last for years. I've seen some grievances last for a lifetime. A lifetime. People who wouldn't speak to each other and they went to the grave that way. You know, it's a life sentence, basically, that they served out. That's crazy. That's wrong. They're sinners. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. If a righteous, holy God can clear the account the way he did, I think I should be able to do something like that too, huh? (laughs) As an offended sinner. We want to talk justice. You want to talk justice? Let's talk about justice. Let's talk about our wrongs against the Lord. You say, oh, well, that's different. You know, he can take it. That's God. You know, that's what we think about it sometimes, isn't it? Sin, you know, Ah, it's nothing worse than the common cold. Don't worry about it. You're right. It is different. It's infinitely worse. We personally offend him constantly. 
What's the first commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? One commandment. Do we ever break that? I'll tell you, we ignore him. We take him for granted. We despise him. So, oh, I don't despise him. You know what the word despise means? It means account of no value. Think about it. How much in your life would you consider to be more important than the Lord? You say, oh, nothing. No, I didn't ask what you said. If we were to examine your life and your priorities and your speech and your actions and how you spend your time and relationships, let me ask you again. How many things in your life are more important than the Lord? The one who moment by moment gives you life and breath and everything you have and are. It's amazing, you know, how clearly we can see in moments of self-realization. Now, I mean that last phrase, self-realization, not in the sense the psychiatrists do, you know, self-realization, when you achieve your full potential as a person. I mean, biblically, when we see ourselves as God sees us. It's amazing how clearly we can see at those times. The first time it happened to me was July 1969 when I got run over by a truck and I should have been killed. A lot of seriously broken bones, tread marks on my clothing. It was a semi, 24-foot Matson van loaded with 28,000 pounds of freight. When I woke up on the pavement, I had not, by the way, you're going to, you're not going to be able to say, oh, well, it's because you went to church, you know, and you had all this input. I never went to church. I never read the Bible. But when I woke up on the pavement, I knew, and I didn't have some preacher standing over me, that I was going to hell. I never even thought that thought. I knew it. I knew I deserved it. And I knew I was helpless and hopeless. I mean, it was so, I can remember it right now. As if I'm still laying on that pavement. It was so clear to me. You say, why? What terrible things had you done? Well, I'm not going to go into detail, but I can tell you the worst thing. Because I realized it at that point. I knew I was going to hell and deserved it because I'd been ignoring God my whole life. That was it. I just knew it. I didn't care a fig about God. And it was too late. I saw 22 years of despising God. It's interesting. David got that same little insight in his sin with Bathsheba when he wrote in Psalm 51. He says, talking to the Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. Isn't that a curious thing to say for David? I mean, he just committed adultery. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against her godly husband, Uriah. In multiple ways, trying to get him drunk. And then finally having him murdered, involving his general in it. In fact, his whole kingdom ultimately was affected by his sin. And yet David has the audacity to say against you and you only have I sinned. You see, he had that moment of clarity when he realized that what makes sin so serious is that it's against God. You see, all that time, David realized what he had been doing to the Lord all that time. And that was the worst of it by far. How he despised the Lord. He had to have crowded God out of his life, didn't he? 
You ever done that? To make room for sin, you know? And all that time he was hard and he didn't understand it until suddenly, man, it just hit him like a ton of bricks. The prodigal son comes back. Oh, how he'd hurt and, and sin against his father. You know what he says? He says to his father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. You notice that? He didn't say, I've sinned against you and in the sight of heaven. He had that moment of clarity when he realized the worst thing about sin is it's against the Lord. Back book. Got another little black book here. Not going to be a bestseller. Bet you won't be able to get it in the bookstores. problem with homemade sermon illustrations there it is can you read that just the cover you don't want to see the inside i don't want you to see the inside yeah it's just volume one okay now we always talk about by the way now i know there's there's a this is a facsimile Okay, but I can tell you, there's a real book like this. How do I know that? Because the Bible says so. It says, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the throne, and the dead were judged uh, by the books according to their deeds. And if John said about Jesus, the book contain, the world couldn't contain all the books, talked about the things he did. Well, 62 years of sin, I tell you, it's going to take a lot more than a book. To hold mine. My king. He erased that. All of them. I don't know how many there are. But they're all erased. Just like this king here. Man, that was a burden. I remember it so well. When I saw my sin. And I felt like pilgrim just hunched over. With that big weight on my back. And I came to the cross and it just rolled off out of sight. Ah. It feels so good to know. You could open it now. It's it's blank. Well, not with an eraser. It was washed by blood. The blood of Jesus. That's how much it cost. He couldn't just say it. I forgive you. He had to have a basis for doing it. And Jesus gave that to him when he died for me. I love that song. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Now, God says to us, be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. 
just as God, for Jesus' sake, forgave you. It's interesting. We know First uh, Corinthians 13. That's the, that's the chapter of what? Very good. Chapter of love. A lot of people have it up on their wall. Christians and non-Christians. They, it's just a beautiful chapter. You know, it ends, uh, and now remain these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. A lot of beautiful phrases describing love. One of them in there says, love thinks no evil. And uh, there's more to it than just those words because it's a very interesting word that God uses for, for thinks. Literally, the verse is, love doesn't keep an account of wrongs. That's really what it's saying. So, what God is saying is, you know that little black book? You get rid of it. That's it. It's so simple. I'll tell you, it's liberating. It is so nice not to have to keep track of everybody else. I got plenty to worry about right here. Toss that little book. You say, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. Beautiful verse in, in Proverbs. It says, the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and it's his glory to overlook a transgression. Overlook? That's great. In the light of what God has done for me, how could I ever major on the sins of others around me? Final lesson is in the last part of the parable here, and uh, particularly the last verse. Jesus says this in verse 35, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Now, it's interesting. Uh, Jesus doesn't waste words, does he? Now, for some reason, in this particular uh, command, he says, from the heart. Why does he say? He should say that all the time. Every time he gives his command, he should add that phrase, from the heart, right? Just to drive it home. He doesn't. But he says it here. Interesting. I mean, that's kind of a given. But for some reason, he says it. What he's saying is, I don't want any sham forgiveness. From the heart, the way I've forgiven you. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, that should be the way it is when we forgive others. This isn't the only place where Jesus links uh, God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others. It's in Mark, too, where he links God's forgiveness with our forgiveness of others. The Lord's Prayer. Everybody's memorized it. Forgive us our trespasses just as what? Isn't that interesting? Forgive us our trespasses just as we forgive trespasses of others. If you've prayed that, 
You're telling God, you forgive me the way I forgive other people. You sure you want to pray that? Why did Jesus teach us that? Now, I know you gainsayers out there say, oh, wait a minute. Now, let's make a distinction here between judicial and parental forgiveness. That's right. Jesus is not talking about judicial forgiveness here. Praise God. The penalty's paid. But he is talking about parental forgiveness for Christians. And you say, oh, well, it's just parental forgiveness, you know. That's okay. I can live with that. Really? What Jesus is saying there is, you can go ahead and uh, confess all the sins you want. If you've got something against a brother and sister, God will not hear you. That means there's still something between you and your heavenly father. And it won't go away until you forgive them. That's what Jesus is saying. Look, don't quote me, quote Jesus. Several times. How much is one hour of broken fellowship worth to you between you and your heavenly father? Or one day, or a week, or years, or a lifetime. I don't want a minute. So many lessons here. We've been forgiven so much. Boy, how, how we should praise him and thank him every day for forgiving us at such great cost to himself. Next lesson, it, it, you know, it's, it's downright wrong to hold a grievance against a brother and sister in light of what God has forgiven me of. It's, it's, it's wrong to do it against a brother or sister because God's already wiped that sin clean. And I'm taking out my little black book and I'm, I'm bringing it back to life again, you know. And it's just as wrong against an unsaved person because we're demonstrating to them, if we hold a grievance, we're demonstrating to them what the forgiveness of God is like if we hold a grudge. And finally, Jesus tells us that our forgiveness from God on a day-to-day basis is based on our forgiveness of others. I think there's a good application here. If there's anybody here who has an outstanding grievance against someone else, just forgive them. That's it. Okay, drop it right now. Toss that book. Get rid of it. Let, let me short-circuit something that often happens, by the way, when people get challenged this way. Several times I've known of people, a brother or a sister that will go up to another believer, and for some reason they'll say, you know, for years I've had a bitter spirit toward you, and I realize it's wrong, and so I thought I'd come and tell you that I've had that bitter spirit. Isn't that good? That's terrible. No. Confess it to the Lord because it's sin, and drop it. I, I know because Jesus says, look, I'm cut off from God parentally until I forgive others. It stifles the work of God if there are grievances and offenses in a body like this. So that's my heart's desire that there's nothing between anybody here. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we thank you that we have been forgiven so much. Lord, we we just know right now we don't understand the half of it. We know someday we will see it. But we pray that we might live this side of heaven as those who love much, having been forgiven much, that we might demonstrate to the world what the forgiveness of God is like. Oh, how sweet it is. And if there's anybody here who has never known the forgiveness of God and and had that debt canceled forever, oh, Lord, may this be their day that they might see uh, that wonderful phrase, paid in full, written across their ledger by the Lord himself. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.